Hello, I'm Danny Aiken, president of Southeastern Seminary. This podcast is a variety of audio resources from around Southeastern. To learn more about Southeastern, visit scbts.edu. Well, first of all, I, I reciprocate uh, everything Dr. Aiken said. Uh, Danny, and I call her Charlotte, but Charlotte is like a sister to me. Um, he's right about our funerals. As a matter of fact, I keep telling Danny, if you don't come to my funeral, I won't come to yours. So um, it really is true, uh, Dr. Aiken, and I want to thank you so very, very much. I, I do have one minor complaint, and I, I usually don't try to complain about anything, but, but we were over in his office, and he gave us some gifts to take back, really sweet gifts. But my only question is, this year I didn't get a Chick-fil-A certificate. Can you kind of make sure I get that in my bag before I leave? If you do that, I'd appreciate it. Well, it is a joy to be with you. There's no place I'd rather preach than Southeastern Seminary. Nobody I'd rather be with than Dr. and Charlotte Aiken. And so today, I, I want to ask you a very serious question, particularly as, as young pastors and missionaries and soon to be uh, out in the field doing whatever it is that God has called you to do. And the question is kind of an adaptation of a song. And the question is very simple. How great is your God? How great is your God. Robert Dick Wilson, you know the name Dr. Aiken, was a brilliant professor of Old Testament at Princeton Seminary from in, at the turn of the 20th century. And one of his students was Donald Gray Barnhouse. If you don't know that name, Dr. Donald Barnhouse was the pastor of the 10th Street Presbyterian Church in Philadelphia. At that time, the largest Presbyterian church in America and a tremendous preacher. Well, 12 years after he graduated from Princeton, he was invited back to preach in chapel. And when he got up, he noticed sitting right on the front row was his old professor, Dr. Wilson. And needless to say, his adrenaline gland went into overdrive. Because it's kind of like, you know, I was telling my staff yesterday, I was telling them I was coming up to Southeastern, and one of, my, one of my staff guys said, well, is it really tough to preach in front of young preachers? I said, no, that's not the hard part. The hard part is preaching in front of a professor of preaching like Dr. Jim Shaddix, who's a legend today, probably the best professor of preaching anywhere in America. That's the hard part to know. He's sitting there, and, and you know, he knows more about preaching his little finger than I know in my whole body. Well, that is exactly the way Barnhouse felt. I mean, this is Robert Dick Wilson. He was, I mean, he was an icon at Princeton Seminary. So when chapel ended, Dr. Wilson walked over and extended his hand to Dr. Barnhouse. And he said, um, Don, it was great seeing you again. And then he said this, but I will never come to hear you preach again. I mean, Barnhouse said he almost lost his lunch. I mean, he said he just, he just went to pieces. But then he said this, I only come to hear any of my students one time. I come to see if they are big godders or little godders. And then I know how big or how great their ministry will be. He said, I'm glad to know that you are a big godder. I want to tell you, when I read that, I had to ask myself a question. James, are you a big godder or are you a little godder? And I would ask every one of you to just get dead level honest because God knows the truth anyway. Be truthful. Are you a big godder or a little godder? I pose the question, how great is your God? Let me put it to the test. Does the way you pray, the way you handle your finances, the way you respond to pressure, the way you stand for truth, even the way you express your worship, does that reveal a big God 
or a little God? Do your thoughts glorify him or grieve him? Do your prayers bless him or insult him? Does your giving show you trust God enough to give him your tithe? And yes, I'm talking to some of you on a shoestring budget. I've been where you are. I know what it is to go to a school like Teresa and I did when we went to Southern Seminary. I'd had back surgery. I couldn't even work. And she was a legal secretary, which, by the way, I don't even know what an illegal secretary is, but she was a legal secretary. She made $100 a week. And I'm the pastor. I'm the preacher boy. And I said, when we came on our first check, I said, I'm not really sure we can afford to give $10. She said, we're going to give $10. I've been where you are. And I ask you, big God, little God, A.W. Tozer said, and I believe this, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. That is true of every human being on this planet. What we think about God, what comes into our minds is the most important thing about us. And then Tozer went on to say, Whatever you think of God will determine your spiritual future. Now, let me just make a candid confession. I've seen too many of us who grow older, and it seems like the older we get, the smaller our God seems to become. And one of my biggest problems I've had in pastoring people is I've got a church full of people who have a little faith in a little God, but they don't have a great faith in a great God. And I know that's easier said than done, and so you're probably asking the question right now, well, James, how do you go from being a small godder to a big godder? Well, I got news for you. There was an ancient king by the name of David, and he wrote a song that powerfully reminds us of the inexhaustible greatness of God. And I invite you to turn to the book of Psalms, and I invite you to turn to Psalm 139. And as you turn to that psalm, we're going to learn something today, and that is the greatest knowledge. You're here to learn. You're here to learn. You're here to gain knowledge. Some of you are here. I met with some students today who are in a great program here, and some of you are PhD students. I got a PhD. I love knowledge. I love to learn. That's one of my. That's kind of one of my attitude traits. I love to learn. But what you're going to learn today is the greatest knowledge you will ever have in your life is the knowledge of just how great a God we serve is. Here's what David said. He said, number one, I can trust the God who is omniscient. I can trust the God who is omniscient. Now, that word omniscient comes from the Latin omni, which means all, and the Latin word sentia, which means to know. It literally means all-knowing. In other words, God knows everything about everything and everyone all the time. You don't need to raise your hand. Have you ever been around somebody who acted like a know-it-all? You ever been around somebody like that? You say, yeah, I'm married to that person. All right, listen. God's not acting. He is the ultimate know-it-all. 1 John 3.20 says, God is greater than our hearts. And I love this statement. He knows everything. If you're an older parent, God is just like your teenager. You can't tell him anything. He already knows it all. Understand something. God's knowledge is not just intellectual. It is personal. Listen, God doesn't just know everything about you. God knows you. And here's a very frightening thought. God knows you better than you know you. God knows you better than your wife knows you. He knows you better than your husband knows you. He knows better. Knows you better than your mom and dad knows you. He knows you better than anybody knows you. That's a frightening thought. I read the other day about a prosecuting attorney, 
and he was trying a case in a very small town. So he called as his first witness this elderly woman, uh, Mrs. Smith, and she lived in the town all of her life. She was one of those busybodies. She knew everything about everybody, and she was the biggest gossip in the whole town. So he calls her on the witness stand, and he said, uh, Mrs. Jones, he was really confident about it, and he said, Mrs. Jones, do you know me? She said, why, yes, I know you, Mr. Williams. I've known you since you were a little boy. And he was smiling so big until she said, and frankly, you've been a big disappointment to me. She said, you lie, you cheat on your wife, you manipulate people, you talk about them behind their backs, you charge way too much money for your services, you don't have the brains to realize you're never going to amount to anything more than a two-bit paper pusher. Yeah, I know you. Well, he was stunned, but he was just crestfallen. He didn't know what to do. So he, he turned and he pointed to the defense attorney. He said, well, Ms. Jones, Ms. Smith, do you, do you know the defense attorney? Oh, she said, yes, I know him. I've known Mr. Bradley since he was a little boy too. She said, as a matter of fact, I used to babysit him for his parents. And he was grinning until she said, he's also been a great disappointment. He's lazy. He has, a, he, he has a drug problem. He cheated his way through law school. He can't find any woman who will marry him. And everybody knows he's the most crooked lawyer in the state. She said, yes, I know him. Well, about that time, the judge's gavel came down with a thunderous boom. He said, silence. I want the counsels to approach the bench. When they got to the bench in a very quiet voice with fire in his eyes, he said, if either one of you ask her she knows me, I'm going to throw you under the jail for contempt of court. Now, God knows you. And let me tell you just how well God knows you. He knows who you are. David said in Psalms verse 1, You have searched me, Lord, and you know me. The Hebrew word there for search really means to pierce through or to dig. In other words, what he was saying was, God, you see right through me. It doesn't matter if you wear the mask. It doesn't matter if you put on the show. It doesn't matter if you act one way, one way, and one way the next day. God sees through us. He has x-ray vision that can pierce the hardest heart. He has microscopic vision that can peer down into the very inner core of our soul. God can look down in the bottom of your heart where nobody else can get to but you and God. And God sees where you're clean. And God sees where we're dirty. God sees where we're right. And God sees where we're wrong. And God sees when we're good. And God sees where we're bad. He said, you know me. God knows who you are. Then he said, God knows what you think. He says in verse 2, you know when I sit and when I rise. You, listen to this, you perceive my thoughts from afar. God sees our thoughts as if they were on a highway billboard. God can read your mind just as easily as you can read your email. And listen to this, God not only knows what you're thinking right now, he knows what you're about to think before you even think it. This very second, get this in your mind, your thoughts are being broadcast in stereo in God's headphones. One thing, never try with God. Don't ever go to God and say, can I tell you a secret? There are no secrets with God. He knows everything. He knows who you are. He knows what you think. He knows where you go. He says in verse 3, you discern my going out, my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways. God says, I don't care what you do. I don't care whether you lie down, get up, sit down, stand up. My eyes are on you. Let me tell you something about God. We say it about somebody else that's not true, but it is true about God. He sees you when you're sleeping. He knows when you're awake. He knows if you've been bad or good, so be good for his sake. 
He knows it. He knows where you go. He, God knows every place you go, everything you do, every step you take. He knows the what. He knows the when. He knows the where. He knows the how of everything you do. And what David is saying is this. Don't ever think that God ever takes his eyes off of you. He never does. You're never out of his sight. You're never off his mind. David says, beyond all of that, he knows what you say. Psalm 139, verse 4, before a word is on my tongue, Lord, you know it completely. I mean, that's just incredible. God not only knows what I'm saying, he knows what I'm going to say before I say it. And so when you think about this great God that we worship, my soul, God, you know my heart, you know my mind, you know my soul, you know my words, you know my deeds. And that's why David goes on to say this in verse 5 and 6. You hem me in behind and before. You lay your hands on me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. In other fact, here's what David said. Your mind blows mind. Your mind just blows mind. I, I can't believe it. You know me from north to south, east to west, inside and out. But here's the key. You ready for this? This God that knows us and knows everything about us, knows us better than we know us, still loves us and still wants to have a relationship with us. How great is your God? I can trust the God who is omniscient. And then David said, I can trust the God who is omnipresent. He says in verse, nine, verse 7, where can I go from your spirit? Where shall I free from your presence. Some of you have heard perhaps of the great philosopher Yogi Berra. Yogi Berra once made a great observation. He said, I've noticed something everywhere I go, there I am. You know what? Everywhere you go, there God is. Unlike God, unlike us, God never has to go anywhere because wherever anywhere is, God is already there. And then David said, let me just tell you how present God is in your life. He says, first of all, death cannot take you away from the presence of God. Not even death. Verse 8, if I go to the heavens, you're there. If I make my bed in the depths, you're there. David said, if you die, God's already at the grave waiting for you to take you to heaven so that when you get to heaven, you'll stay with, be with him. He said, death cannot take you from the presence of God. Distance cannot take you from the presence of God. Verse 9, if I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me, your right hand will hold me fast. David said, I don't care how high you fly. I don't care how far you swim, you will still be in the presence of God. I remember when I was in college, I took my first plane trip, and I was flying back to college. I'd never flown on a plane in my life. I was flying by myself. And I mean, just if you've heard, you know, you, all of you probably remember your first flight. I mean, I was really scared. I mean, it was just, it was frightening. I, and I was by myself. I remember taking off and, and just, oh gosh, I was just so, I mean, my stomach was in a knot. And we, we get above the clouds. And it just so happened the day before I had read this very verse in the book of Psalms. He makes the clouds his chariot and he rides on the wings of the wind. And every time, even to this day, we were flying over here yesterday, and I looked out the window, and I saw those beautiful billowy clouds, and I thought about that verse. I said, Lord, you are right here in this plane. You make the clouds your chariots. You ride on the, you ride on the wings of the wind. It doesn't matter whether I'm below sea level or 30,000 foot above sea level. It doesn't matter. You are 
with me. Death cannot take away, take me away from his presence. Distance cannot take me away. And then he says, darkness cannot take me away. He says in verse 11, surely the darkness will hide me and the light will come night around me. Even the darkness will not be dark to you. The night will shine like the day for darkness is as light to you. David said, God not only has x-ray vision, he has infrared vision. He can see just as clearly when it's the darkest of dark as he can in the lightest of light. He doesn't need night goggles. His light, eyes of light can pierce through any darkness. And that's why nothing can hide you and nothing can ever take you away from the presence of God. So let me just say this to you. There are times you'll be in your ministry. There will be times you'll be on that mission field. There will be times you'll be in that heated deacons meeting. There'll be times when you're reading that anonymous letter. And by the way, I've never gotten an encouraging anonymous letter. Never have. You know, again, you know, Yogi Bear had great advice. He said, never answer an anonymous letter. And I think that's great advice. In fact, I reminded of Dwight L. Moody, the great, the great evangelist. Dwight L. Moody was pastor of Moody Church. And this is around 1890 or so. And he got a letter in the mail. And all it had was one word written on it. Fool! Exclamation point. That's all the letter had. He got up the next Sunday and he said to his people, he said, I got the strangest letter I've ever gotten in my life. He said, somebody signed it before they, they forgot to write it. So, you know, that's kind of the way I treat anonymous mail. But there are going to be those times and you're going to think God is a million miles away. There are going to be times in your life you will do this. God, I know you're there, but I don't feel you. I don't see you. I don't hear you. I know that you, but it's just so hard. And I want you to listen to me. God is so high, you can't get over him. God is so low, you can't get under him. God is so wide, you can't get around him. God is always with us because he is omnipresent. Now, let me tell you what that means. You can never leave God behind because God will never leave you behind. You will never be out of his presence. You may feel lonely, but you are never alone. And I know everywhere I go, three things are true. Everywhere I go, God is behind me encouraging me. God is beside me, protecting me, and God is before me, guiding me. I can trust this God who's omniscient. I can trust this God who is omnipresent. How great is your God? And then finally, I can trust the God who is omnipotent. Omnipotent. I love that word. The word omni means all. The word potent means powerful. God is all powerful. He is omnipotent. Let me tell you what that means. God can do anything that does not contradict two things, his word or his character. Outside of that, God can do anything. Now, obviously, there are some things that God can't do, right? God cannot lie. God cannot die. God cannot do wrong. God cannot tempt other people to do wrong. It, it would be beneath his character. I can tell you this, Dr. Aiken, this will encourage you. God cannot be a Tennessee, Auburn, or Florida fan. He can't do it. It would contradict his character. Nothing can do it. Now, but to illustrate, by the way, if that made you mad, I apologize, I'll forgive you. Listen, just to illustrate, just to illustrate how powerful God is, listen, listen to what David does. David does something that shocks me. So an atheist comes up to David and says, David, I don't believe in God. What's your proof? David does something so interesting. He doesn't talk about the stars or the moon or the heavens or the skies or the galaxies. 
or even the universe. He says, just go look in the mirror. He talks about the human body. Iconic poster George Gallup once said this, I could prove God statistically if I had to take the human body alone. The chance that all the functions of the individual human being would just happen is a statistical monstrosity. Now, David was no doctor. He didn't have any medical training. He didn't know anything about DNA, but he didn't know nearly what we know today about what a finely tuned engine the human body is. But here's the amazing thing. Even thousands of years ago, a shepherd boy named David could look at a human body and say, that didn't just happen. Evolution couldn't put something like that, like that together. It must be created by a great God. So he says in verse 13, you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. In other words, David said, no, I'm not here because of mother nature. I'm not here by fate. I'm not here by chance. You formed my inward parts. You created me in my mother's womb. He continues, verse 15. My frame was not hidden from you. When I was made in a secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were in your book before one of them came together. I love the way David puts that. We were woven together. Take your brain. Your brain, listen to this, your brain can store a hundred trillion facts. Your mind, you ready for this, can handle 15,000 decisions a second. I've seen that happen with my wife in a shopping mall. I've seen it happen right before my very eyes. Your nose can smell up to 10,000 different odors. Your touch can detect an item 125,000th of an inch thick. Your tongue can taste one part of quinine in two million parts of water. You say, what's the point? David is trying to get us to understand the human body is not an evolutionary accident that was thrown together by chance. It is a miracle that was purposely put together by a great God. That's why David goes on to say in verse 14, I praise you. Because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. He said, look, I just look in the mirror. I just look in the mirror. And I know that God is great. And that so encourages me. Because the other day I, was, I got out of the shower and I was looking in the mirror. And I got so depressed. And she said, what's the matter? I said, look at me. My arms are like pencils. My chest is sagging. Can't see my feet. I got wrinkles all over me. She said, be encouraged. Your eyesight is perfect. Um, <laughs> take the body as a whole. Take the body as a whole. Listen to this. Our bodies contain over 30 trillion cellular machines that carry genetic information. Now, this blows my mind. The genetic information contained in every cell of the human body is roughly equivalent to a library of 4,000 books. Here's what that means. If you were to catalog all the genetic information in one human body, it would take a library big enough to hold 30 trillion times 4,000 books, about the size of Al Mohler's library. Now, only an omnipotent God with all powerful hands could create this magnificent machine called a human body. But then David doesn't stop there. For some reason, David starts thinking about how God thinks. 
And he says something incredible. Listen to what he says in, in verse 17. How precious to me are your thoughts, God. How vast is the sum of them. Were I to count them, they would outnumber the grains of sand. When I awake, I am still with you. David just couldn't get his mind around God's mind. He said, God, your mind contains more thoughts than all the thoughts in all the minds that have ever thought any thought put together. And they're not only greater in quantity, they're greater in quality. We sometimes get really enamored with our intelligence and our knowledge and our degrees. Well, let me just kind of humble all of us a little bit. The simplest thought that God has ever had is far higher than the greatest thought Albert Einstein ever had. There's no mind like his mind. And, what, and that may, then you understand what God said to Isaiah. And then you say, okay, now I get it. You know this verse. My thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are my ways your ways. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your thoughts and my, your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. Let me tell you what he meant. Isaiah didn't even realize what he was saying. Astronomers have spied galaxies 12.3 billion light years from earth. Think about that now. Galaxies are 12.3 billion light years from Earth. You remember your physics. Light travels 186,000 miles a second. So in other words, it only takes light eight minutes to travel the 93 million miles between the sun and the Earth. That means the sunlight I'm seeing right now outside that window is only eight minutes old. But light, listen to this, light from the furthest galaxy that we can see is 12 12.3 billion years old. It took that light 12.3 billion years to get here. What's the point? God says, you want to know the distance, distance between the way you think and the way I think? You want to know the difference between the, the distance between what you think and what your mind can do and what my mind can do? We underestimate God's greatness by about 12.3 billion light years. So, if God is all this, James, he's omniscient, and he's omnipresent, and he's omnipotent. If this God is all-knowing and all-powerful and always present, then I want to ask every one of you to get real practical. Let's just bring this home to where we live on Tuesday morning. Let's, let's come down from the sky in the 30,000th of you. Let's put feet on our theology. If what I've said to you is true about God, I have a simple question. What problem are you facing in your life right now that God can't solve? None. What is there in your life you just can't trust God with? The answer is nothing. The fact of the matter is, not only can you trust Him for your life on earth, you can trust him for your soul for all eternity. So listen to how David closes this magnificent song. Search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my thoughts. See if there's any offensive way in me. And lead me in the way everlasting. So buckle your seatbelt. So when I got up this morning and God searched my heart, let me tell you what God saw. He saw the envy. He saw the jealousy. He saw the pride. He saw the selfishness inside of me. When he read my thoughts, he 
saw the lust, the greed, the battle with bitterness that we all deal with. He sees it all. He sees all the things that I'm so glad you can't see in me. And he sees all the things in you you're glad nobody can see in you. So the question remains, so James, if that is true, how can I ever hope to have a relationship with this great God? Well, this great God came to us in human flesh, and he died on a cross so he could lead us in the way everlasting. It was through his son Jesus that this God, listen to this, here's how great God is. From a little baby born in a manger to a criminal crucified on a cross, here's what God did. He did the impossible. He paid for all my sins. He accomplished the inconceivable. He did it without excusing my sins. And he solved the insoluble. He remained just while doing that very thing. And he did it not through computers, iPhones, iPads, or modern technology. He did it through a manger and a cross and an empty tomb. And this God is so great, he cannot be contained by the universe. But through faith in his son, he can live in my heart. What a great God we serve. Would you pray with me? Father, I ask you forgiveness when I've shrunk you down to my level too many times in my life. I boldly and gladly and humbly declare there is no God like you. There is no great God like you. You're the only God there is. You're the only God that offers forgiveness and eternal life. And I want to thank you that you've called so many of these wonderful men and women to proclaim the greatness of the God that didn't just create this universe for us to live in, but also created a heaven that we could live with him as well. So, Father, thank you for our time together. I pray a blessing over every student here. Lord, I've been where they are. I know their struggles. There are married couples here just struggling to pay their bills. There are students here wondering how they're going to be able to pay for next semester. I've been where they are. But, Lord, you're omnipotent, you're omniscient, you're omnipresent, and you've never failed to keep your promise, and you'll keep every promise you've made to us and to them. And because of that, in the name of Jesus, we glorify you and you alone. Amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast. Consider giving to Southeastern Seminary online or visiting us for a preview day. For information on how to give or sign up for a preview day, visit scbts.edu.